Hi folks, thanks so much for listening, streaming or downloading today. I'm, I absolutely cannot believe that we're here to record episode 8. It feels like yesterday that I was streaming season 2 for the first time and totally bawling my eyes out. If you're new around here, my name's Jamie, I use he him pronouns, and you're listening to the proper full-on gay podcast, that show where we talk about Heartstopper with leading queer youth charities and other really fascinating guests from around the world. And speaking of fascinating guests, I'm delighted to have two incredible guests joining me tonight. Hello, Molly and Sydney. Hello. Hello. Hi. If you've listened before, you will definitely be familiar with Molly's voice. Molly, it's so lovely to have you back with us to help us round off season two. It is a pleasure to be back. I always absolutely love doing this podcast. And yeah, it's really fun. Why don't, for people who maybe didn't catch your previous episodes with us, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the Pride Trust and what you guys do? Yeah, of course. So I'm Molly, I use she, her pronouns, and I work for the Proud Trust. We are an LGBT plus youth charity based in Manchester, but we operate services nationally as well. And we aim to empower young people to be proud of who they are. We do that through what youth work, one-to-one work, as well as training. And we have a digital support service, Proud Connections, which is there to digitally support LGBT plus young people and the adults in their lives. It always amazes me how much you guys do, and I always want to be, isn't it great that organisations like yours exist now, but in reality, you've been around for years, haven't you? Yeah, we trace our roots kind of way back to the 1970s, originally existing as the Gay Youth Group, um, and met in Manchester, and we have gone on and have been the Proud Trust since 2014. Oh, well, it's great to have you back with us. It is a pleasure to be back. It's also great tonight to welcome a brand new partner joining our panel of charity partners. It's really exciting, but if I'm honest, it's just a little bit heart-wrenching too, because of what it means for some of our characters. It's a great pleasure to introduce you all to Sydney Cook from UK-based charity Harmless. Sydney, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for um, for having me. It's quite exciting. I've never done a podcast before. Um, but yes, so um, I'm Sydney um, and I'm the self-harm team lead um, for Harmless and the Tomorrow Project. Um, so to introduce Harmless a little bit, uh, we're the National Centre of Excellence for Self-Harm and Suicide. We're a user-led service that aims to address and overcome issues related to self-harm and suicide. So this includes supporting clients who are at risk of self-harm, um, have been bereaved by suicide or are in suicide crisis. We deliver a wide range of interventions and approaches to clients to uphold a recovery agenda, promote self-care and autonomy across the East Midlands. What is it that you do at Harmless? What does your job involve? So being the self-harm team lead, it's a mixture of kind of two roles. So I've got my management side and then I've got my clinical side. So my clinical side involves me supporting clients who are at risk of self-harm. So this will be me working with them on a one-to-one weekly basis, providing um, therapeutic interventions, psychosocial assessments, offering safety plans, you know, um, getting them to where they kind of, you know, want to be. And then I've got my management side where I manage the the self-harm team. So I manage the therapists and clinical support workers that deliver um, all the amazing support um, alongside um, the service lead. So yeah, Mm. it's uh, it's definitely uh, a busy one. That's for sure. 
For sure. What was it that attracted you to work for an organization like Harmless? I think so I did sort of the typical route um, into the mental health sector even though I did a lot with my education it never really does prepare you for the experience that clients have and staff have and I think self-harm and suicide was something that was taboo it was I knew a lot about the stigma but I didn't know a lot about experiences personal experiences from clients and it was something that I was like right I don't know anything about this area so it's something I'm going to learn about and I'm going to make a difference and so yeah here I am today. Well it's great to have you with us I can't wait to hear some of your perspective on Charlie's story arc in particular. Before we get stuck into today's episode, why not look down at your phone right now and hit that subscribe button. It makes such a huge difference in helping other people discover the show. It means so much to me. And while you're there, why not go ahead and tap on those five stars, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I and our guests would really, really, really appreciate it. We should also do some trigger warnings before we get stuck into the episode. But of course, we'll be talking about Charlie's story arc and discussing his experiences with disordered eating and self-harm. We'll also probably speculate about what the future might be like for Charlie. And we'll be talking about Darcy's story arc too, which touches on her relationship with her mum and I guess a bit of the familial abuse or emotional abuse that she she goes through. So we're here to talk about episode eight which I think is called Perfect. What did you think of the episode? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I to be honest with you, I kind of binge watch um, Heartstoppers because I heard it from yourself, <laughs> Jamie, and then I was, yeah. and then I just watched an episode out of the blue and I was like, I am hooked. Um, you know, I really, really enjoyed the episode. I think it covered um, lots of different bits, um, lots of stuff for discussion. I also thought it was fab. I thought it was a really good way to bring kind of this the season to a close as well and I think this episode kind of really sums up this season of a whole of there are equal parts joy but also slightly more seriousness and we knew kind of going into season two that this was going to introduce slightly darker topics than the first season Mm. had um but I think that is you know very realistic to being a a young person nowadays so yeah I think it was a gorgeous episode yeah, I really loved it too. We've got so many really iconic moments, like the whole um, Heartstopper prom, which still feels, to me, it feels a little bit surreal, but sure, why not? And everything else, there's just so much to talk about. We've joined the show with Nick waking up and posting another photograph of him and Charlie, but this time he captions it with boyfriends and a heart emoji, and with I'm bi actually in brackets. It was such a lovely way to start the episode. You both picked this as one of your top moments. Nick joins Charlie and they read through some of the comments. Let's have a listen to their conversation. You are the best. Have you seen the comments? I guess we knew this would happen. Are you going to get more of the promise of mine? There might be some stairs. Are you sure you want to go? This is the best my life has ever been. I don't have to hide my amazing boyfriend anymore. I'm not getting bullied. Everything's perfect. So we're going to go to prom and we're going to be the cutest couple there and everyone will see. Oh, it's such a sweet moment. Charlie's so excited about prom, but Nick in the scene looks quite anxious. I like the way he checks in with Charlie to make sure that everything's okay. Both of you picked this as your top moment. Why was that? I think it's just such a 
a lovely moment between the two of them. Um, what I particularly enjoy is the song that is played, The Colors of You by Baby Queen, is yeah. a flashback to season one. And I think That's it, right. I think it's the song that plays when Tara and Darcy kiss, which is like such a nice flashback. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. It's either I think it's in that scene. Um yeah. which was like it's a flashback to Nick's growth as well and how much um he's kind of come along. Um, but I just love that he's done boyfriends, but has gone, but I'm still by, And that is my yeah, favorite for thing. Sure. It's like the running joke of the season, isn't it? And it has to correct everybody that assume that he's gay. Yeah. Just because he's a boyfriend. Yeah. I think that's just a running joke amongst bisexuals in general is that like, we are constantly having to be like, no, still by, um, regardless yeah. of which person of which gender that we're, we're dating. Um, and I love that the show has that representation. Um, and I just, it's so nice to see the pair of them happy after kind of all that they've come through as well. Yeah, definitely. Like, I know I say that a lot. Like, I have to correct people a lot. And it's something that I didn't even realize that I was doing until like the show. I was like, oh my God, that happens to me all the time, all the time. Sydney, why did you pick this as one of your top moments? I think I kind of um, focused on the bit where it just shows kind of how caring Nick is of Charlie and how we can still, we can see that something's not quite right with Charlie and Nick has just noticed that, you know, throughout the series. And I think it's just highlighting that. And I think it's really key when Charlie does, Charlie says, um, you know, everything's perfect now. And it's sort of like thinking, you know, is that Charlie convincing himself? because he thinks it should yeah. be perfect now because because they're out because they can be them you know and it, I think that bit just kind of stood out for me um so I thought yeah. that was interesting I I totally picked up on that too almost like I guess for me sometimes we set these future milestones it's just going to be okay it'll be okay whenever I get to this kind of milestone and in a way it feels like Charlie has been doing that throughout their relationship it'll just be okay whenever I can lead authentically and things will be better it'll be perfect. I love that this episode is called perfect because throughout this season we've seen Charlie have this real focus on things being perfect even way back in episode one we hear him saying like Nick's gonna have the perfect coming out he's not gonna have any of the negative experiences I have he's gonna be have this perfect coming out and then have we're gonna have a perfect relationship and Charlie really focuses on like you said get into this if we can just get over this everything will be perfect yeah Um, yeah exactly I think it's something that young people face all the time and especially you know going through the schooling system it's like you can just get over this problem it'll be fine but then there's another problem and another problem that's right life is never perfect we never get to that moment in life where everything is perfect it just it's this fallacy it doesn't really exist and one of the things with Charlie is that he absolutely in his coming out experience it's all kind of linked back to him being outed he had absolutely no control so he was suddenly outed in front of all of his peers in school and it was this horrific experience with the homophobic bullying and everything else that happened to him and now he wants to try to control Nick's coming out experience and make sure that everything's perfect for him so it all kind of links back to that the trauma that he suffered does that make sense sort of a really really interesting point to make and I think you can see the level of control Charlie does want to have over those situations and make sure that kind of protect Nick I guess from feeling 
the emotions that you know he's struggling to almost identify and communicate so you can definitely see that level of control over situations and just just wanting it to be just perfect like we say yeah for sure we cut to Tao and Elle in her bedroom one of my favorite sets there's so much detail let's have a listen to their conversation I think Nick just came out on Instagram oh good for him <laughs> do you want to be my girlfriend was that a serious question yes do you not want to yes I want to be your girlfriend. And why are you being weird about it? I'm not being weird. You're... That's such a cute moment with Tao and Elle, but it kind of came out of nowhere. I don't know how you feel about that. It kind of just happened all of a sudden. I love Tao and Elle. They are so, so good. And I love how, what an anxious little being Tao is. Tao has this real, <laughs> yeah. real insecurity within himself of, when L goes, is like, is that really a ridiculous question? He's like, uh, oh, have I, have I said the wrong thing? Have I? He doesn't know where mm. to where to tread with it. Um, but I think the fact that it's so spur of the moment is is very much the two of them because it's you almost feel like Tao's like, if I don't say this, I'm never gonna say it. So I need to just yeah, for sure. That could be it. Get it that out. Could be it. And I think almost it, it gives me the. In the same way that back in season one, Tara and Darcy gave Nick the courage to like take that next step with with Charlie, it's mm. almost mirrored that seeing Nick and Charlie gives Tao the courage to then take that next step with Elle. Yeah, maybe. That's a really interesting perspective. For me, I thought this was kind of grounded in Tao's insecurity. Whenever he asks, he picks up that prospectus from the college and it's kind of like back to his fear of losing Elle that he thinks that he now, like the idea of her going off to art college is enough to be like, oh, I better make sure that we're like boyfriend and girlfriend before she goes kind of thing. You know what I mean? Although she's not going for ages. So maybe that isn't the case. I don't know. What do you mm, think, Sydney? No, I, I agree. I think, you know, we're sort of saying it's kind of a spur at the moment, but I think it's also so expected at the same time. So I think that's quite it was quite a nice way of doing it um but I also think you know with what we'll go on to discuss later around kind of Tao and experiences with his dad I think that definitely plays a huge huge part in this sort of scene as well mm. for sure we joined Tara and Sahar trying to get everything ready for the Heartstopper prom they have so much to organize it's a bit mad they definitely seem a little bit overwhelmed we get this really cute montage as the gang get Tara's text message and they all make their way to school, passing under that iconic tree in the hallway outside Mr. O'Shea's art room. We did a special episode last season all about great moments that take place under trees in season one with therapist Emma and Ellie. If you haven't heard that, it is definitely worth going back and taking a listen. As the montage finishes, we join Mr. O'Shea and Coach Singh. I love these two. I love that they're such good friends. They have such good chemistry in this scene. I love any time we see the teachers in this in this show. And I think I know. these two specifically, I love the relationship they have with each other as these kind of, they, they understand. And I think it sums up the yeah. kind of, when you're in a workplace and you know that someone else is also a fellow member of the LGBT community mm -hmm. and there's that, like instant kinship even if you're not necessarily working together directly because mm. you understand especially in education 
that for those for the LGBT plus young people in the school, you automatically kind of become this role model without meaning yeah. to be. Wow, that's interesting. I love Coach Singh. She's like one of my favorite characters. And I feel like we've been really starved of Coach Singh moments this season. Like we've gone maybe four episodes now, five episodes without any Coach Singh. I feel really, I feel really bad about that. I think that they should include her more in season three, Alice, if you're listening. Let's listen to their chat. I love that we get these little moments with members of the LGBT community. They're just a little bit older than the rest of the characters. They're not like a bunch of teenagers. We hardly ever get representation like this that's so wholesome and just so cute. You both picked this as a, another one of your yeah, top moments. Yeah, I agree. Um, this doesn't get shown um, very often. And there's often, like, what I like is kind of the giddiness around it. And there's op- there's often sort of perceptions, yes, say, it. with, you know, school teachers that, you know, they're very serious and things like that. And the giddiness um, mm-hmm. just kind of shows that there's still sort of anxieties and butterflies with kind of older relationships. Yeah. So it's really nice. Um, to see you can't help but sort of smile when uh, you know that he is going to message and ask uh, for more chaperones so yeah no definitely love that bit definitely it's so cute it's so cute and of course that links back to Mr Fruk's comments in Paris about how he missed out on all these teenage experiences and how there isn't an age limit on those kind of romantic lovely cute moments. I think it's fab and I think it's great that we see that representation so often when we see you know representation of older LGBT plus people is limited anyway um but usually they're like settled or married or like they've mm. they've been through the kind of trials and tribulations. But I really enjoy that we see this almost the delayed coming out in Mr. Fruk, but also the kind of chatting to your friend about like, oh, what do I do? Like that awkwardness that we see reflected in the teenagers in the show equally in the adults and I think for young people watching it's kind of like okay so it's okay that things are a bit awkward right now because they're always going to be awkward because that is the nature (laughs) of new relationships yes for sure for sure it's just so lovely I love it it's really cute we stay at prom and see Nick's coming out or Nick and Charlie coming out as a couple has attracted a bit of attention let's have a listen Is it true you guys are going out? Yeah. I didn't know you were gay, Nick. Well, I, I'm bi, actually, but yeah. Well, I think you guys look so cute together. I told you. I didn't believe you, you know. I said you <laughs> Do you want to stop and get something to eat? I can walk to the shop. I'll eat later. I had a really late breakfast, so. You can, though. With the benefit of hindsight and being familiar with the later pages in Heartstopper, 
it really comes across how he's how easy it is for Charlie and for young people to conceal things like them not eating or them skipping a meal. Although with Charlie now, Nick has really started to notice that they're spending a lot of time together and Nick's starting to pick up on these little moments. Yeah, absolutely. I think season one nodded to it already a little bit. Um, but I think mm. we kind of, as an audience, start to pick up on it kind of around the same point that Nick has. Um, yeah. And I think it's one of those things that no one was ever really looking at Charlie in that much detail until Nick came Mm. along. So he was able to hide it. And so I think it shows that kind of thing of if you're when you're not with someone all the time, you don't know if they've if they've said that they've already eaten, then you just kind of believe that. Mm. And and we see it kind of throughout this season, how charlie kind of goes about concealing that from his friends and i think a lot of that stems from him not wanting to be a burden and not wanting to Mm. cause issue amongst his friends especially now that he's you know at this point of having a a perfect experience even though charlie has said in his own words his life is the best it's ever been he still Mm. feels feels the need to hide his eating and to monitor his eating like this yeah, it's interesting because we saw in season one how difficult it was for Tara whenever she came out online. And she really felt that. Like, I think it was around episode six or episode seven of season one, where we see how difficult that was for her to have all this attention suddenly placed on her and Darcy's relationship and how even she felt a bit out of control. So you can imagine for Charlie, who has already experienced such trauma in the past, how this is making him feel too, even if he is trying to pass it off as everything being perfect. I think moments like this maybe highlight that even though he says that, it it probably isn't how he's feeling, if mm, that makes sense. I think sense. it leaves a lot to kind of the imagination. We can, I think it's very surface level at the minute, kind of how they're, how they're yeah. playing, not playing with it, but how it's sort of acting out. Um, and I think it does leave a lot of room for kind of discussion and kind of thoughts and possibly a lot of room for season three, who knows? Um, but I think, you know, yeah. it is really interesting. We can see the the small links and things that are starting to be made so kind of links between you know the idea of wanting things to be perfect and sort of the control over eating and then things Mm. I think that's kind of really interesting yeah for sure for sure Nick does get something to and he joins Tao on the stage it's been a real joy to watch Tao and Nick become friends this season for me it's definitely one of the highlights and that we get to see Tao and Nick for being quite icy with each other to now they're actually really connecting on a on an emotional level you know they're being vulnerable with each other and they've come such a long way let's have a listen to their conversation Charlie must be really happy In some ways, yeah. I mean, he he says he's really happy, but... I don't know, I I think he's been finding all the attention, like, a lot. Oh, yeah, he hates attention, so... I'm just worried. How come? I think... The more I learn about him, the more I think... And the bullying and all the things that happened to him in the past, they all really have affected him. And and he still carries it all with him, even though it's over. 
still causes him a lot of pain. I mean, do you think that's true? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I think when something really bad happens, it can affect you for a really long time. Like, my dad died when I was 12, and, you know, I think a lot of the reason I get so freaked out about losing my friends and losing Al is because losing him was just like, yeah. I, I didn't know about your dad. No, don't be weird about it. I'll try. <laughs> Good. You know the bullying? You know how bad it was, don't you? I mean, I had some stuff, but, um... Yeah, Charlie never really talked to me about it. Me neither. I really love this moment. It gets me every single time. Tao offering Nick some support about his coming out experiences and then them talking about and sharing concerns about Charlie and Tao opening up about his dad. Such a beautiful moment. Like, I really, really love this moment. This was another one that you both picked as your top moments. I laugh. I shouldn't laugh, but you both picked so many moments that you guys picked during common. It's great. What was it that about this moment that really stood out for I you? Think, um again sort of touching on what you've kind of said previously and that we can see there how far their relationship has come um and it's nice to kind mm. of you know have the final episode of them sort of having such a heartwarming conversation um and i think a lot can be mentioned here about how bullying can have such a long-term impact on individuals and i think it's really important that this is highlighted i think it's you know, it's clear to see that Nick and Tao can see how much pain and buried emotions that Charlie's experiencing um, and that they both want for him to be able to access that support or able to communicate about this. Um, and I think, you know, it is really important just how we can, we can't always see sort of inner struggles. And when something bad does happen, it can stay with us for a really long time. Um, and I think it's really important that they both notice that I think that's really really good yeah definitely especially now that they're talking about it with each yeah. other it's almost like you know these two are Charlie's protectors in a way if that makes sense that um and now they're there kind of as a team in Charlie's corner they understand that this has been a really hard experience for him and that he hasn't opened up to anyone about it yeah absolutely I think it shows the kind of the importance of having a real solid friendship group particularly at times when young people are facing bullies it can be it can be really really hard for them to confide in their friends about it mm. um and i think you know what's great about these two is they both ha care so much for charlie and i think it's really great that we see tau almost letting that barrier down to recognize okay it doesn't just have to be our friendship group that protects for Charlie. Like Nick cares about him as much as we do. And yeah, I think that it's really nice to see this moment of vulnerability from Tao as well. Yeah. Um, he is such a, he hides so much of his thing behind humor and, you know, making a joke out of it and things like that. I think it's really nice that we see him let this guard down, but specifically that we see 
that it's Nick who he lets it to. I think it's yes. it's Tao letting Nick into the folds of the friendship group that he's kind of almost kept him at arm's length for, for the last part of the season. Oh, for sure. Definitely. I love that you said that. What really stuck out for me whenever they were having that conversation is that Tao can't, still can't find the words to talk about how he feels about the loss of his dad. Yeah. And it just makes me think about how young people who experience these kind of these experiences for grown-ups is very hard to manage, but for young people, it's even harder, you know, whenever they experience a loss and experience grief like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in Tao being so young and losing a parent, it's it shows the kind of long-lasting impact of it that he still struggles to talk about it and struggles to kind yeah. of find the words. Um, and even still at that last little mini kind of, tries to make that joke of like oh don't be weird about it haha and Nick's like I know. I'll try not to like it, it's yeah. those moments of I, I don't really know how to react with this information you've given me um and yeah I think it, it is like we were saying earlier it shows how moments from young people's lives can really have a, a long-lasting impact on them even without necessarily realizing definitely definitely and the way that Tao recognizes that he still carries that into his relationships with Elle and with his friends. And it comes across in his fear of losing people and things like that. It just shows almost how much Tao has grown this season. And uh, since we first met him I think him it's in one of those one, where he kind of wanted to speak about it and then was kind of like, but I don't want you to respond. I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to talk yeah. now and then you're not going to be weird about it. And then we're going to move on. So I thought that was, that was, that was quite, yes. quite sweet. Bless him. Yeah, for sure. Should we move on and chat about something cuter and happier? I think we need to. We share this really cute moment next with Nick and Charlie as they get ready for prom. Let's have a listen to their conversation. Can you close your eyes? Why? Because I'm nervous you think I'll look weird. <laughs> okay, I'm not looking. But for the record, I think you always look cute. I can't believe you're my boyfriend. Can I please open my eyes now? Okay. That, that doesn't look bad. No. You look so good. You look so good. Oh, shut up. <laughs> How about we don't go to prom? We just stay here instead <laughs> no we have to go everyone's expecting us to go together now <sighs> yeah and a big public appearance is a couple that's that's definitely what we want I picked this moment just because I thought we needed some like relief after the last scene. <laughs> like there's so much joy packed into this, these little kind of moments that they pepper throughout. Just to, I guess it's to take the journey, us on that journey of where we're going up and down, you know, the way that they like to do in storytelling. When I was young, things like this seemed totally impossible. And I think we should really celebrate how much joy there is here for Nick and Charlie. 
you know, to think that these moments, they might be rare. Molly, you can fill us in on, on whether these moments are rare or not, but they're still, they still happen. They're much more common than they were years ago. Absolutely. I think one thing I love particularly again with this scene is they bring back the music from season one. And again, this is the soundtrack that plays when they're like first doing their hands touching at um, Harry's party. How did I miss that? That's ridiculous. Well, I always think of that is the music that plays when there's a heart stopper moment. And this for the two of them for this season is their like, it's their heart stopper moment of there. This is what Charlie's been talking about for the last two seasons is not only getting a boyfriend, but having a boyfriend who is, so proud to be with him and is ready to willing to make that public appearance when I was at school prom was just becoming a thing like we we had a prom but it was very like you would find the boy would find a girl and boy and girl would would walk down and would go together and that was it there was not really any variation from it whereas prom is such a a built-in thing now that most young people will like go with groups as their friends or you know we see these amazing stories coming out of you know young people going to prom in drag or wearing what they want wearing whether that's a suit or a dress or it's kind of after five years of being in a uniform they get this chance to kind of be their authentic selves and be proud of who they are Mm. and I think it still takes an immense amount of bravery even though yeah it's a lot more common now to kind of make that stand in front of people you've known for the last five years is a huge thing and i think it shows how incredibly resilient lgbt plus young people are especially at you know in the moment with in times where they're seeing their existence debated and all this type of Mm. thing they are still authentically themselves and they never let that dull that down um, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that I take so much joy working with LGBT plus young people is mm. doesn't matter how relentless the media gets, they are still so proud to be who they are. Oh, that's so lovely. That's so lovely to hear. Oh, my goodness. Nick and Charlie getting ready for prom is juxtaposed with a brief montage featuring Tara and Isaac, and neither of them seem to be enjoying things quite so much. Tara still hasn't heard from Darcy, but she knows that something's wrong. It's such a heart-wrenching scene to watch Tara um, text Darcy with reassurance that she's there for them and to ask her to come and join her. It's such a heart-wrenching moment. Yeah, definitely. I think we can sort of see, you know, again, that care that Tara sort of has for Darcy and just wanting to make sure that Darcy's okay. Um, And I think it's really important that 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 is highlighted um yeah definitely for sure and then we see we saw at the end of the last episode when Darcy was kicked out by her mom and we had the we have this cutaway here that shows her that shows her in the park suggesting that she slept rough and she confirms that later in the episode is homelessness something that you come across often Molly where young people fear that they're at risk of homelessness or maybe experience homelessness yeah I think it's for a lot of LGBT plus young people, that is the ultimate fear when it comes to coming out to parents is the fear that their parents are not going to allow them to live under their roof anymore for, for being yeah. who they are. And I think a lot of that stems from representation that we see in media that for a long time, I know, especially when I was growing up, that was the the story that we saw. But also we see a, a lot of it 
it is still very much a problem. We're really fortunate in Manchester. We work with a lot with our friends at AKT who Mm -hmm. specifically do work around LGBT plus youth homelessness. And there is still very much a need for services like that, Mm -hmm. which I think is why having kind of queer youth provisions specifically is so important because it still kind of very much is a problem. I was really surprised whenever like AKT were going to join us as a guest for last week's episode, but they couldn't make it and they sent through some stats. According to their research, like the the young people that they work with, 78% of those young people cite familial rejection and abuse after coming out as the primary reason for them experiencing homelessness. Like I was, I was horrified when I read that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think AKT do such amazing work at providing a real safe space for those young people. Yeah. And I think if we think about the percentage of young people that fear facing that, it's even higher. Mm. It is, you know, usually when young people say, oh, if they think about coming out and they go, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's usually because that that is what they thought it was going to be. And, you know, for a lot of parents, that's also a really difficult thing for them to think is that, that for parents, it's hard for them to think, well, of, of course I wouldn't react that way. But so many young people hear stories, whether it's from peers or within the media. And I think that's why these provisions are so important. It's why we have services like Proud Connections, which is our digital live chat service, for mm-hmm. young people to come on and, and have a chat if they are feeling or fearing anything like that. If they're worried about coming out, then we have... LGBT plus youth workers on the other end that are there to mm-hmm. have a chat and to talk through that process. Um, but it's also there for, for parents and for adults who are worried about supporting their young people as well, because it's equally a journey for the adults in their lives as well as it is for the young person. Yeah, that's it. And sometimes we forget that, that actually our parents and our close family members go on this journey with us. They go on a journey of their own. And um, so it's great that those services are there to kind of help everybody we have an episode coming up in the new year with AKT. They're going to come back and do a special with us because I, I was I was surprised that this is still a really big issue. So they're coming back to do a special episode with us along with the, the Irish Queer Youth Charity Belong To. So there'll be a little collaboration. And we're going to explore this in a bit more depth, that issue of homelessness in the queer community. So keep an eye out for that. It'll probably be February or March time by the time that we get around to doing it. Um, but do watch out for that. In this montage, we also get a really quick cutaway to see Isaac getting ready for prom. He seems a bit deflated as he flips through his book and then he throws it onto the bed. I feel for Isaac, this is a tough time in his kind of journey where he's trying to figure out what it is that he feels. I love Isaac so much and I love that we've gotten to see this journey from him. I think that He's been a phenomenal addition to the show. Yeah, definitely. And I, I've loved the kind of blossoming friendship that we've seen between Tara and Isaac, you know, way back in, I think it's episode one or two when they're having the sleepover. It's Tara who's like, Isaac, come dance. Come on. Like, she, oh, I missed that. She yes. refuses to let him be left out or to sit quietly. But sometimes he just wants to sit and read his book. And I respect that. I know. I love the way that they brought Tara and Isaac together a couple of, in a couple of moments throughout this season. Like we saw them in the Paris trip where they're running the hallways of the hotel. It's Tara and Isaac pair off and go together. So I love that we see the start of this friendship. It's so good. I can't wait to see if there's going to be like another friendship moment or some more friendship moments in season three. 
the montage ends and we arrive in Elle's house where her dad is grilling Tao about his intention with his daughter. I love this moment. Let's have a listen. And what are your intentions with my Elle? Richard? I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're not back by 12, then you will be in trouble. <laughs> Hello. You look... You're, you're so... Hello. <laughs> you look pretty good too. I love this scene. Tao was so uncomfortable and her dad just was not joking at all. I thought this was a really lovely scene. Really lovely. I love the way that this show gives Elle some moments that every teenage girl will go through. You know, yeah. in season one, she's the new girl. And that is That's right. an awkward and an uncomfortable experience for any teenage girl. And I, I love that they the a lot of the issues that Elle faces don't stem from the fact that she's a young trans woman. Um, but the show also very much doesn't shy away from that and doesn't try and pretend that she's anything other than that. Um, mm. And I love that this shows how much her dad supports her and how much yeah. her dad views her as his daughter. And so he will protect her as a dad protects a daughter. I love it. It's so good. Love it. Obviously, also, he'll have known Tao growing up. He'll have known, they'll have been friends as, you know, pre-Elle's right. pre transition. So I love that he's he's like, I don't care if I've known you for the last 10 years. You are mm. taking my daughter to prom. And so I'm going to act how I would act <laughs> when someone is taking my daughter to prom. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That His dad knows Tao really well. <laughs> so like the questions is so funny. That's so true. That's so true. And I love how Elle is surrounded by these champions. Like even Tao's mum is such a huge champion of Elle. And it's just it's just beautiful. We have so many great examples and role models for parents um, in Heartstopper, don't we? Like it's so good. So good. We cut to the arrival of prom where Darcy is still yet to make an appearance. I'm so glad that all of Tara's friends were there with her. Even if she's not entirely honest about Darcy's absence, I'm sure this would have been so much harder for her if her friends weren't there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it shows that this is a really good group of friends and that it doesn't matter what yeah. issue any of them are going for, they are they're there for each other and that's kind of why having a you know a solid friendship group is so important uh, absolutely absolutely as the end of prom we see this another amazing bisexual color scheme maybe that's just a coincidence that it's a bisexual colors but they are everywhere you can't deny it um, and it kind of links back to harry's party sahar heads off to the band and we get this really sweet montage of everyone having their photos taken and charlie encouraging isaac when he feels a bit awkward it's just so sweet I think it just provides that, you know, reassurance to Isaac that you don't, you can be there with your friends and have a good time with um, friends. And we can sort of see that, um, yeah, just reassurance for Isaac. You know, like, come on, like, you can have a photo mm. with us. You don't have to have a date here to have a photo. Um, and I think, I think that's just really, really sweet. Yeah, I thought it was really nice. Nick catches up with his friends. Let's have a listen to their banter. 
You alright, Nick? <laughs> what have you been me? Too busy hanging out with your boyfriend. Sorry if we made you feel weird about telling us. I can't believe Nick's the first out of us in a relationship. <laughs> yeah, man. I could easily have a girlfriend any day now. Yeah? Is Tara Jones single? She's gay. Everyone knows this. Come on, man. Whatever, man. We've missed you, mate. Yeah. We've missed you, too. I'll see you guys later. It's such a funny moment between Nick and his friends, but I just, I love how hard they're trying. Yeah, I love that they still kind of, they keep that laddie banter of like, oh, you found yes. 50 of us, now you've got a boyfriend. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether boyfriend or girlfriend came out of their lap mouth, they, the banter would have still been the same. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And they don't get it all right. You know, they put their foot in it, but that's okay. You know, it's fine. It's awkward for everybody. Yeah, I think it's one of those where, you know, just the effort just absolutely um, goes a mile just to be, you know, just to try. And I think all Nick wants is for his friends to be kind of normal around him. But he's not asking for, you know, people to get it right 100% of the time. It's just, you know, having that effort and being his friends. That's, yeah. that's you know, that's all he needs. It means so much, doesn't it? Like, it's great. It's really good. Nick notices that Tara seems a bit upset and he catches up with her as she searches prom for Darcy. Let's listen. Tara? What's wrong? What's happening? I don't think she's coming. Why not? I know something's wrong, but she never wants to talk about it. How do you talk to someone about something that they don't want to talk about? Maybe... Maybe you just have to try, like, even if it doesn't work. I really love this moment between Tara and Nick. It's another one of those little moments where you get some really great life advice, like they're peppered throughout season two. I think the quote is, you just have to try even if it doesn't work. Tara definitely knows how that feels. She's been trying so hard with Darcy, but she's really feeling it now. She's really worried. I really enjoy that we've had almost the flip, you know, back in season one, Tara was giving Nick a lot of advice. That's and right. now we're back and Nick's given Tara advice on, on you know, a different topic. Yeah. Um, and I think I also love that Nick's like, just try. As yeah. if Tara's not been trying this whole time. <laughs> it's very much teenage boy advice of like, well, give it a go. Yeah, um, but it's such good advice. It's that great you just advice. Have to keep trying, you know, you just keep trying. And I think sometimes that's why confiding in friends is so important because they can offer sometimes something that is so obvious. But when you're, you know, in the midst of it and you're you're thinking about things far far too much you need someone that's kind of objective to the situation to be like well have you thought about this and that's why confiding in friends is so important yeah yeah and I thought that was really nice um that we are having sort of lots of different interactions and I completely agree Molly when it was sort of like well have you thought about trying and it's like <laughs> oh thanks thanks for that insight you know hadn't hadn't thought of that um mm. but yeah no it's really nice in the next scene, we get Tao and Elle take center stage on the dance floor. I thought this was like the cr the cringiest moment in season two. I wish they hadn't included this. I'm sure there are listeners out there, hello listeners, that absolutely love this dance moment with Elle and Tao, but I, I thought this was super cringy. 
I just think anytime Tao dances, it's super cringy. We we saw it in, <laughs> I think it's season one when he's like, I'm going to dance. And everyone's like, Tao, Tao don't. Yeah. It's like, let's not. Um, but I feel like they've gone, do you know what? It's prom. Just let him dance. Like, we'll dance with him. It's fine. Yeah, for sure. Next up, we get a brief scene with Nathan and Yusuf. Let's have a listen. Nathan? Yusuf? You came. Said you needed more chaperones. You know, that, uh, that night in Paris, pretty stupid thing for us to do. Well, <clears throat> I was going to suggest dinner and drinks next time. Next time. I really love that moment. It's so validating to have this kind of queer romance play out with a couple of older, um, not that much older members of the cast. These two are great. They're like, they're real highlights. The teachers are always a real highlight. Mm, I think what's really nice is that you kind of get a lot of, um, say, cliche scenes where someone will go, you know, it was a bit of a mistake. And then the other person will go, yeah, I agree. But it was nice that it was like, no, yeah, dinner and drinks, off we go. <laughs> Definitely that Nathan really puts himself out there and he's like, uh-uh, no, this is what, this is how it's going to go down. I loved it. I loved it. I think we also see like the insecurity of Yusef as well, of him yes. being like, yeah, yeah, definitely a, a really silly thing for us to do because I think he's expecting that rejection and expecting yeah, Nathan to right. agree. Um, but when he kind of goes like, oh, well, I was going to say this next time. He was like, oh, oh OK, yeah, yeah. OK, next time. Yes. And just like he's almost surprised because I think that's something we see when people have just come out is that expectation of like almost that expectation of rejection. Mm. Um, and it's really nice that that's not the case and that they, they that they're going to have a next time. Yeah, for sure. I loved it. Loved it. Another moment that I'm sure was really validating for lots of viewers and listeners was when Isaac ventured into the library to pick up a copy of the Ace book. Do you remember, Molly, at the end of season one, we talked about when Isaac would get his Heartstopper Leaf moment? Yes. And I am so thrilled that they went in the direction that I was hoping they were going to go with Isaac. Yeah, me too. I thought how I, how Alice has depicted this story arc is inspir it's it's so inspired. I love this story arc. I think it's so good that Isaac meets James, who on the surface looks like he's a perfect match, only to come to realize that he might be asexual or aromantic, and then to reach this part of his journey where he's ready to explore what the identity is and what that means I just think it's beautiful I think this is really 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 good it was such a lovely surprise I think it's it's so good and I think you know it goes to show that the representation is there kind of wh yeah. whether it's not necessarily even seen um so many of our young people were like Isaac's ace at the end of season one um and I was like, that's really interesting. They're like, no, no. Yeah. Isaac's clearly an ace character. Like, <laughs> I the signs are all there. Like, I also like to sit and read my book, especially when my friends are talking about romance. Mm. And to see that representation kind of come through, I think especially with asexuality, it's really rare that we see any ace representation, let alone positive ace representation. Definitely. Um, I think it's still an identity that a lot of people will invalidate or perceive as 
kind of that thing of oh well you've just not met the right person yet or yes absolutely they're just that you've just not right and I think especially for young people it's oh well how how can you know if you're ace because you're far too young to even be thinking about anything to do with sexuality and romance and I like the certainty that Isaac picks up that book um it goes to show kind of the importance of having great representation in school libraries as well because it was through seeing that book that Isaac Mm. was able to then go in and just have a look and read up about it and I think for anyone who is a school librarian or has any say about which books are are visible to their young people it's why having a library full of diverse characters is so important because young people take so much value we've seen it in Heartstopper in seeing themselves represented in media whether that is the stage the screen or the page it makes such a big difference to people's well-being doesn't it being able to see themselves reflected in society and knowing that other people like them exist oh a hundred percent and i think it's something that is is so vital whether it's seeing a character that looks like you or a character that's going through similar experiences you particularly for people from minority groups seeing characters with similar lived experiences for them it just gives them that reassurance that they're they're not on their own and whether that is you know to do with someone's identity whether that's you know race or sexuality or gender Mm. or whatever seeing characters and stories that reflect similar to yourself is so important because it gives you that reassurance that someone else is going through this and what you're going through this is is kind of a normal thing to go through Definitely, definitely. Another really nice surprise was Imogen's Heartstopper moment watching Sahar on stage. I thought this was so unexpected. I loved it with the music notes popping. I thought this was a really nice surprise. I was hoping for that moment from the moment Imogen said she was an ally. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know you were. It was so good. I loved it. Charlie people watches from a table at the back. Nick catches up with them and they hold hands above the table this time instead of under it. I love these little details that they put in. Let's have a listen to their conversation. Feels weird. Should we dance or like get a photo or something? Can you dance? Oh no, not at all. Me neither. Can we leave? I thought this is what you wanted. I'm not worried about people seeing us together. But why should they have to see? We've been so obsessed with the idea of coming out. It's like we've forgotten why we wanted to do it in the first place. It's not for them. I just want to have a fun night with you and our friends. Yeah, I want that too. Mm. David and my mum are out tonight, so I do have a free house. I really love this moment. Again, it's like another one of those great moments. Charlie's comment that they've forgotten about why they wanted to come out in the first place. And it was never about other people. It was about them living authentically. I think Charlie sums it up exactly of like coming out is an individual journey. Mm. And so often we think about failed LGBT plus people that they kind of coming out is something that a lot of people do for the people to let other people know like how they like to be referred to but it's such a personal journey and such a 
a journey that every person will go through differently. You know, one person's coming out experience could be totally different to someone else's. And I think Charlie sums it up perfectly when he's like, this is this is for us, not them. Like, let's go and make this moment about us. Yeah, for sure. I think it is really nice that we we kind of go back to you know what this is what this is all about and it's it's Charlie and Nick doing exactly what they want to do mm-hmm. um together and I think you know it kind of we go back to where they were sort of saying you know prom's going to be perfect everything's going to be perfect yeah. and then it is just a bit of a realization hang on a minute what is it that we want to do we want to be together with our friends and have a good time like yeah that's that's that and I think that's really nice I loved it too. The the coming to that realization that actually prom doesn't matter, that the environment doesn't yeah. matter. It's about being with people that we love and having a good time together. You know, it is. It's really, really great. Tao and I'll get back after dominating the dance floor. Isaac arrives back with his book and Darcy arrives late and looking a bit disheveled. She learns that, that Tara has gone to look for her and we actually catch up with Tara at Darcy's house. After she knocks, Darcy's mom opens the door and they have a very brief but quite an interesting conversation, quite a telling conversation. Let's have a listen. Hi. Oh, we don't take cold calls. Sorry. Oh, wait, I'm, I'm Darcy's friend. Uh, she said she was coming to our school prom tonight, uh, but she didn't show up. And uh, she hasn't been replying to my messages. So I was just... Uh, Is she okay? And how would I know that? Do you know where she is? She had another one of her tantrums last night. Over an outfit, can you believe? (laughs) Your own mother can't tell you the truth about an outfit. Who can? She looked like a lesbian. She'll realise she was in the wrong, but she'll come straight back. Okay. Well, if I find her, I'll ask her to let you know she's okay. Thanks, then. Bye. What a conversation. Like, what was that all about? I still can't believe that her mum is so calm. Darcy's been out all night. She hasn't been home all night long. Like, she's been out somewhere in the dark, God knows where. And her mum's like, oh, whatever. I still can't get over it. She doesn't seem very nice at all. No, and I think especially in contrast to the other parents that we've seen yes. in the show. Um, But I think it's it's really important that the show had this negative portrayal as well. Um, I think so often this is the main representation that we've seen of of parents is parents not accepting their young people. But I think this takes a real specific take of Darcy's mum just not even accepting or entertaining the idea of Darcy's identity, mm. um, especially comparing to so much that we see when Darcy and Tara first come out Tara's always says you know you're so secure in being a lesbian and I wish I could be more open like like you are and I think it's that kind of like we were saying earlier you don't always know what is happening at home for a lot of young people um no matter how much of a big brave identity or how much they kind of show things in front of their friends you can have no idea the challenges that young people are sometimes facing at home. And I think that's one of the reasons I think this storyline is so important. That's such an interesting comment. Yeah, that all this has been happening just under the surface. Like even we weren't aware of it until very recently in the Heartstopper series. 
I think it's one thing that we see within harmless is a lot of people that younger age, a huge sort of safety factor for them and safe environment for them is their home. It's a place mm. of comfort. And this is the exact place where Darcy can't be who she yeah. is. And that is a huge issue that we sort of see kind of with clients. Um, and it's a huge ris- risk factor um, to self-harm. And it's it's just massive and I think it's it can be really damaging for sure our guest last week Paula from LGBT Scotland we were talking about Darcy's story arc and she made a comment that I actually I didn't pick up on it at the time and afterwards I whenever I was editing I thought god I wish we'd had a conversation about that was she said that in their experience that people who feel this kind of rejection for young people who are rejected by a parent or somebody who's very close to them, that even if those relationships are repaired down the road years later, that has a very lasting and damaging impact on on their lives. Yeah, I think, you know, exactly that. And I think there's always going to be in the back of Darcy's mind, you know, even if you sort of have a change in views kind of later down the line, is that because you're trying to tell me what maybe I want to hear, but but mm. behind closed doors, you know, you think that I'm just having a tantrum or that it's bad that I look like a lesbian, you know, and I think it's yeah. those things stick. And that's what, you know, can make sort of individuals start to believe those things. Yeah. Um, and it can be massively um, impactful. Definitely, definitely, especially because her mum here in this conversation with Tara, she's almost rewriting history. She's totally changing what happened. She's totally taking control of the narrative and changing what happened. She's talking about how Darcy had another one of her tantrums and that she stormed out. But that isn't what happened at all. She attacked Darcy and then she kicked Darcy out when Darcy refused to be controlled by her. She told Darcy, you're not wearing that outfit. And when Darcy said that she was, she got kicked out. Absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that shows that for young people, their safe spaces can really vary. So many young people have this safe space at home if they're having, you know, a a particularly challenging time at school. But for young people that are having a challenging time at home, school is their safe space. That's right. You know, school is where Darcy's friends are, where Mm. she has been able to come out and be her true self authentically and had the support of, you know, fantastic teachers that she doesn't have that life at home. And I think we always think of the term of trusted adults and that Mm. adults are, you know, the the trusted go-tos in in young people's lives. For some young people, that's not always their parents. And, you know, Darcy's mum takes control of the situation and makes the story in in kind of her mind this is what happened yeah and you know Darcy is just being a a teenager having tantrums and actually the situation is far far worse than that yeah definitely definitely it's kind of heartbreaking in a way like I'm a parent as as listeners know it's heartbreaking that parents like that exist and it's hard like I guess for me it's hard to understand how they can have that point of view I don't know it just seems totally insane I think it's one of the reasons why or it's so important that organizations such as the Proud Trust and Harmless exist because it is providing young people with another safe space with trusted adults yeah. that they can they can go and have a chat to I know so many young people in our youth groups will come to every event that we put on whether it's our evening youth groups if it's a Mm. a Saturday event 
because it gives them that another space to come and be proud of who they are and be their authentic selves and to be around people that are often going through similar things. Um, I think it's why organizations like the Proud Trust and Harmless are so important because it's really important that young people have those safe spaces to get away from any negativity that they might be facing at home. Oh, well said, Molly. I love that you said that. Tara gets a call from Nick letting her know that Darcy's okay and that they're back at Nick's house. When she arrives, they share a moment and Darcy opens up about her life at home and about how she's been feeling. Let's have a listen. Where did you sleep? I just I went to the park. It was fine. Nobody was there. Why didn't you text me? My phone was out of battery and I didn't have a charger. Why didn't you walk to my house? Because I didn't want you to know. Do you remember when we got locked in the music room the second time? Yeah. You told me that you didn't feel as confident about being a lesbian as I did. And I wanted to be that person for you to help you through your journey. But you are that person. At school? Maybe. <laughs> I'm not even out to my own parents. I don't think I ever will be. I hide who I am when I'm at home. I'm not confident. Sometimes my mum makes me hate myself. But then you said I love you. But what if that person doesn't even exist? So, you were scared to say it back because you didn't really believe that I could love you? you you've only ever seen half of my life. And now I've seen the other half. And I still love you. Are you sure? Because I'm a literal disaster. Oh, I know. I actually like how much of a disaster you are. I am so in love with you. I just, I'm bad at saying it. Well, practice makes perfect. I love you. 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 I really love this moment between Tara and Darcy. Darcy talking about her mum, how her mum sometimes makes her hate herself. It's just soul-destroying to think that that's how young people are made to feel. I think it's it's a real, re- really realistic portrayal as well, though, of how much of an influence adults in the lives of LGBT plus young people can make on them. Um, and I love that the show shows the contrast of how having supportive adults can really like make your journey contrasted with how having not supportive adults and having adults that can be quite difficult in their lives can Mm. really also make that journey quite challenging for young people um and it, it does show kind of a really accurate kind of contrast of how Darcy is so openly herself at school yeah but 
isn't able to bring her full self because she's not got that support at home. Definitely. And to think that she actively tries to hide her experiences at home is is soul destroying too. And that in itself must be quite damaging to internalize a lot of those emotions. Mm, I think it's key here that we can see that Darcy experiences a real lack of affection, acceptance and love from mm. from um, the mum. And I think we can sometimes internalize, um, definitely internalize those feelings of not being able to be loved, not being worthy of being loved. So yeah. then when we're told that someone loves us, it's sort of like, why? Yeah. You can't love me. Um, and I think it's it's really nice to see then Darcy start to open up um, and kind of start to have this conversation and starting to allow themselves to be loved. And I think mm. that's really nice. I hadn't actually thought about her internalizing those feelings of not being loved in that way. Like we talk a lot about internalized homophobia on the show where we can see that Darcy's mom is clearly homophobic and Darcy internalizes that. But actually the internalization of these feelings where you don't feel like you, you can be loved, like that is, that's so destroying in itself. Mm, it's so common. I think it's the feelings of, I've not had that experience of being loved, therefore I can't be loved and that's my fault. And what's even worse is how early we can see it, how young Darcy is and those are the yeah, feelings that are coming through. And it does take so much work to then challenge those thoughts and, and get you know Darcy to a place where um, they're able to accept that they can be loved, they're worthy of being loved. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important that that, you know, that is highlighted. In the montage that follows, we see the group of friends come together and have a great time at their very own after party. They seem so happy together, leading us into this big false sense of security about how lovely this all is. And then we get the next scene. After the others leave, Nick and Charlie share a moment um, upstairs in Nick's bedroom. Let's have a listen. Someone just heard Tao talking about me coming out. I think it surprised me how homophobic people were. I thought things were better nowadays. People would just call me disgusting to my face. And it went on for so long that I think I started to believe what they were saying. Made me really hate myself. So much so. I used to. I used to cut myself sometimes. I don't want to feel like that anymore. Can you still do that now? 
Sorry. I thought we banned the S word. Can you promise to tell me if it ever gets that bad again? I just don't want to annoy you or burden you. I don't want you to think I'm some fragile, broken mess. That you need to fix me. I would hate that. You're not. And I wouldn't. But I've done so many things that were scary in the past few months because you were there holding my hand. And I want to be that for you too. Like, you're my boyfriend. such a powerful moment between Nick and Charlie encouraged by Nick Charlie opens up about the lasting impact of the bullying and about how he used to self-harm it's a really touching scene really beautifully acted it just felt so raw and so real Mm. I think it is really important that we highlight what what is self-harm at this point um so self-harm is an expression of personal distress usually made in private by an individual who hurts himself the nature and meaning of self-harm can vary from person to person and the reasoning behind self-harm is extremely unique um, and shouldn't be assumed Um, and i think it's important to note that when we do talk about self-harm that what we can see is a self-harming behavior so we can see that charlie used to cut himself but Mm. what we can't always see is the underlying reasons and the function of what self-harm is for that person. And what it is, is it's a coping mechanism. The way that it was introduced there was really well done. I think it's important that we highlight just some brief stats around self-harm, really. So around 16 million individuals self-harm per year, which is a crazy number, with the highest risk group being 15 to 24 for women, and then 34 for 54 for men actually, which I think, you know, is really interesting. I'm surprised that the numbers are so high. That seems like such a huge number. Like, that is enormous. Yeah. When we look at Charlie's story, bullying is a known risk factor for self-harm. And so what that means is for those who are bullied are more likely to display behaviours of self-harm. And statistically, we found that individuals who have been bullied are six times more likely to self-harm than those who haven't been bullied. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Which I think is extremely important to note. And I think it's really key when discussing Charlie's self-harm experience. We can see the real impact the bullying had here. You know, mm-hmm. I felt disgusting. I started to believe those. I started to believe the people that were calling me disgusting. It is. It's hard. It's hard to hear him speak like that. And it's hard. He talks about not wanting to feel like that anymore. Implying It almost implies that he still does feel like that. And we know from the novels that... It's written slightly differently where he says hardly ever, like Nick asks if he still does that and he says hardly ever. For people like Nick out there where they have a friend or family member who has opened up about self-harming, what can they do to support that person? I think, you know, if an individual say came to someone else about what they were experiencing, it's definitely thanking them for coming and sharing that because Mm. it's a huge 
it's almost like they've crossed the first step mm. you know you've come forward and so definitely thanking them for being brave enough to come reassuring them that you know it is okay and that what they're feeling is extremely extremely real and provide reassurance that you know they fair enough the friend the friend may not know um where to go but it's about navigating it together and that that individual doesn't have to go through it alone so it may be exploring what steps would they like Mm. to do next and not being kind of assertive and going you need to do this it's kind of going right how are we going to navigate next steps together is Mm. it going to be maybe seeking mental health support is it maybe um sitting down and having kind of another conversation about it and sort of just having that listening and providing that open space to talk and to give that person the time of day because mm-hmm. I don't think we realize how much courage and how brave someone is to come forth and start that conversation and I think you know I, I really wanted to highlight what I think is really important is when Nick says you know promise to tell me if it ever gets this bad again rather than yeah. saying promise me you'll never do that again and I think that is such such an important thing that has been beautifully done there because that's a huge thing for him to sort of say you know promise you'll come to me if you're feeling this bad again not to stop self-harming and I just thought that that should be highlighted because I think that was really well really well put so definitely being non-judgmental non-assertive and kind kind goes a long way Oh, I love that you said that. Love that you said that. What might intervention and treatment look like for Charlie? So if Charlie was hypothetically coming into service, we offer an intervention called stabilization. Mm -hmm. And this looks to explore why an individual may self-harm. We can look to identify triggers, look at harm minimization, and look to reduce some of the drivers to distress. So I think in, in Charlie's sort of experience, we can see a lot of the feelings of shame, guilt, he believes. And I think self-harm could have been a way for Charlie to punish himself for mm-hmm. feeling these negative things or to, you know, go back to what we're saying about control. Um, it seems like Charlie's struggling to control that pain. So he's looking for something else to control, looking for a way to express that pain and, I think that's really key here. So what I would personally do with Charlie is firstly for him just to be able to have that safe space Mm. to have that open dialogue with someone offering a listening ear, a non-judgmental person offering validation, reassuring and allowing Charlie to know that his feelings are real and they are okay to have and that he deserves the support like Mm. crazy what he's been through. He massively deserves that support. I think you said that statistically slightly older men aged between 34 and was it 34 and 54 54 do you think that that has something to do with the the stigma that's attached to self-harm that young men don't feel able to come forward about about what's happening in their experiences I think massively I think there is such high stigma around being a male in that you're supposed to handle things you're supposed to not be weak if you like the stigma is so high and I think then when it gets to becoming older you know if you've not talked about it kind of in early Mm. intervention it can really carry over and the stigma is so high and it's something that we work 
tirelessly every day to really try and battle because men do struggle with their mental health massively and self-harm is very much prevalent in men and it's something that does need to be talked about. It seems like quite a significant thing that they highlight this kind of story arc with a young man just because there's yep. so much stigma attached to it, especially when we think of Charlie and he experiences disordered eating and self-harm, which are often associated with young women. I think it's it's massively important that they've raised awareness around several topics here. I think with Charlie being a young male and part of the LGBTQ community, I think is hugely important to raise awareness and understanding the impacts that we might not see that someone's struggling with. In Charlie's story arc, they've linked his disordered eating and self-harm together. Do you find that these two behaviours are often linked? Yeah, eating can be massively related to self-harm. And I think in Charlie's case, because it's so on the surface level at the minute, we can Mm. only make presumptions, which is why I'm hoping that it is covered more in season three, because it's a huge association and it's so common, so, so common. Um, and not talked about enough. Yeah, exactly. Thanks so much for sharing that. I really appreciate it, Sydney. At the end of the scene, it was really lovely to talk ab- about how big an impact that Charlie has had on him in helping him overcome some of the challenges that, that he's faced. It must have been really affirming for Charlie to hear Nick say things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially for young people that are potentially going through difficult times with their mental health it can sometimes be easy for them to feel like a burden to their friends and actually I think it's really important that Nick says like this is a this is a two-way thing like you support me as much as I support you and Mm. I think sometimes it can be easy to forget that particularly when you are asking your friends for support and I really enjoy that Nick says like you know we're both pillars that can lean upon each other here and you've helped me just as much as I'm able to help you. And actually, you've been so much, so much of a support through me through my journey Mm. and to let me support you back. For sure. And then he comes so close to telling Charlie how he feels, only to be interrupted by his mum. What a killjoy. Nick and Charlie say goodbye and they both seem closer than ever. As Nick closes the door, he turns to face the camera with a very concerned look in his face. Charlie walking home is on the edge of sliding into Nick's DMs with an I love you as the credits roll. And that's how we leave season two. What a cliffhanger. The bit that just breaks my heart is the way that this scene is shown in the comics. Mm. Because they it's very, very similar, except there's two parallels. You have the Charlie typing I love you into his phone about to press send and then in the exact same panel next to it you have Nick typing how to tell if someone has an eating disorder oh my goodness and it it just breaks my heart they're like Mm. the parallels between the like this is where Charlie's brain is at and Mm. this is where Nick's brain is at um but it's two different forms of love as well I I think Mm -hmm. it's really important the show shows that that like telling someone you love them is one way to express love but actually finding support that they might not necessarily be able to find for themselves is also a different way to, that Nick can express his love for Charlie um but I'm kind of low-key glad that the show didn't show that because I don't think yeah. I could cope with seeing it in live action mm. seeing it in black <laughs> and white was enough oh it's hard this is a really tough story arc like this always gets me this is a really difficult to think and I know we talk about the show as if these characters are real people and uh, 
to think of them going through these things is tough. Like, so for a parent or a loved one who actually has a family member that's experiencing these things, it just must be incredibly difficult, incredibly difficult. I think that's why the show feels so real is because mm. the stories represented are really authentic to the experiences of LGBT plus young people, um, but also young people as a whole. You know, a lot of the, the experiences aren't unique to LGBT plus people. And so I think that's why we feel so emotionally attached to these characters is because their experiences, you know, from the young people that we work with, it's coming through that these is this is very much the type of things that a lot of young people are facing. Yeah, for sure. I think as well, we kind you know, we kind of watch a lot of TV shows, say on Netflix and things like that. And I think I can guarantee that I say at least once, oh, that would actually never happen and I think this series is something that I I haven't said that because everything that has been sort of displayed is happening it's happening it's happening now it's happening in the world and it's it is so good that it's you know the awareness is is being shown um Mm. and I think it's so important um so yeah there's so much to talk about, isn't there? And it is, and that's why it's so heart wrenching for me. Is because to think that people actually experience this in real life is just, it's yeah, yeah, it's horrible. Thanks so much, Sydney and Molly, for coming on and sharing this experience where we talk about episode eight, perfect. If you could pick a heartstopper character to be the real life friend of your teenage self, who would you pick? I would absolutely pick Tori, Charlie's sister. I oh, was, really? I was thinking, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> would, she would have your back through and through. Yeah. Like you just, you just need a friend like that. I think I can't remember what episode it was, um, and I can't remember exactly what she said. Um, but to Nick's brother, I just thought that scene uh, was amazing. Yeah, and it was really good. I was like, yeah, I need a friend like that. So if anyone's out there that can be that friend you 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 get in contact (laughs) tori is fierce i love tori she's so fierce brilliant that's unexpected that's brilliant i love that you brought that that's so good molly what about you oh tori is such a good choice i i think she's fabulous um i think mine would probably be either isaac or imogen Mm-hmm. Um, or I think both of them. I think that would be a great little trio. I think oh, yes. you know that Isaac's going to have the best book recommendations, which mm-hmm. I'm a big reader, so I feel like I'd be all over that. Um, but I also think Imogen has also got the real, like she has that fierceness of a friend of, she keeps her guard up a little bit, but once, once Imogen's your friend, she is going to protect yeah. you. And yeah, I just think she'd be, she'd be a real good friend. Oh, definitely. For me, I think it would be Imogen. Like I, Imogen, you could go on like such a good night out with Imogen. You know that you're going to have a great time. It will be so much fun. And yeah, you're right. She's totally going to have your back as a friend. I think she's got a great like little sense of humor, like her whole say la vie moment. You know, I really love Imogen. Yeah. So I think for me, it would be her. What are your hopes and dreams for season three, Molly? I hope that the show keeps its authenticity. I think yeah. season three is is going to be a real tougher season. Mm-hmm. And I hope that all of the people that came and stuck with Heartstopper for the joy that was season one, I hope that all of those people stick around for the tougher bits of season yeah. three because it's, you know, 
it is equally important if not more so to to see the experiences um but i'm also looking forward to seeing these characters grow i think especially characters like isaac and imogen who are at the start of their journey we don't know where they're going to go because we don't have plots for them in the books because they're new Mm. characters um and they're both at really exciting points in their kind of identity and their self-discovery of identity so i am excited to see where they go yeah very good Uh, sydney aren't you have any hopes and dreams for season three I think I definitely um, echo everything that Molly has said. I think we can see from season two that there's so many, so many doors that have opened, and I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they kind of play that out because everything's been done, you know, so well in sort of season two and season one, um, and I think it'd just be really interesting to sort of see what they kind of do with it and like you say finding that kind of balance between season one and the joy we have in there and then season two sort of you know the struggles that we that people face every day um and how they can intertwine the two um i'm sure they'll absolutely smash it i don't doubt that um but i think that'll be really interesting so i hope you know i hope definitely the the things that we have really talked about today um it's definitely continued um into season three for sure. Thanks so much again. Molly and Sydney, the show would not exist without partners like the Proud Trust and Harmless. So really, really, really appreciate your time coming and sharing your thoughts with us and helping us understand what's happening in the show and what these characters are experiencing. Um, I'm really grateful the show just wouldn't exist if it wasn't for partners like you. Um, So thank you so much. And thank you so much, listeners, too. The show wouldn't exist without listeners like you downloading and streaming the episodes. Feel free to pop along to our Instagram page and give us a like. If you've listened this far into the episode, you must be like a diehard fan, so you better have subscribed already. It is hugely important for helping other people find the show, so hit that subscribe button if you haven't. We'll be back in two weeks' time. We've got one more bonus episode. Actually, I shouldn't say two weeks' time because I don't know for sure that it'll be two weeks' time. I'll try to get it out in two weeks' time. We'll be back anyway with one more episode to round off season two. I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet. You'll have to tune in to find out, but that should be coming up in a few weeks' time. In the meantime, the The only thing left for us to do, Molly and Sydney, is say goodbye. See you later. Bye. Today's show was produced by Shut Up World with me, Jamie Wilson, and our special guests, Molly from The Proud Trust and Sydney from Harmless. Copywritten material is used within this episode to provide criticism, comment, and review. For our fair use and fair dealing statement, please see www.properfullongaypodcast.com.